Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Components. I'm Ren, product marketer at Hereto and your podcast MC. I'm Patrick, CEO here at Hereto. And I'm Jared, lead solutions consultant. Thanks for joining us on our weekly conversation about componentized and structured content. Hope you enjoy this 15 or so minutes of fun talking about everything from data to innovations in AI. All right, let's get into it. Hey there, welcome to Components. I'm your host, Patrick Pozik. This is the single topic podcast that discusses modern content strategy using structured and componentized content. Just like component content, each episode is short and about one thing. All right, let's get to it. Hey, Jared here. With Tim and Patrick in episode three, we're gonna talk about personalization, uh, a small personalization tangent in your content and the future of content. Hope you enjoy. Let's do it live. Yeah, let's do it live. So I guess for everyone listening, what would you guys say that conditionalization or uh, conditional processing is in a nutshell, like the Twitter version? <laughs> Twitter version. Uh, God. Um, I guess I would say that conditional processing is, is really just filtering. Um, so it's a, it's a terrible term for filtering is what it really is. And filtering is just the ability to take content out based on a variable, really metadata, right? So if you think of like your topic or your document or your component of content, if you've got all the content in it for all the different audiences, you know, the way that you get to a specific audience is sometimes to filter content. There's other mechanisms, but conditional processing is filtering. Is that the Twitter version? I, I think he was asking you for the Twitter version. I gave him the good version. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You gave him the new Twitter version, 288 characters? Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll try to do the, the old 140 characters or 280. Yeah. Um, I would say that similarly to what Patrick said, just shorter um, conditionalization is, is filtering content for specific audiences. You're right. That is shorter. It's also right. So it's a little less explanatory, but that's the, the gist of it, I think. So filtering content for audiences, that's what I get from it. Why even bother conditionalizing content in the first place? Like why, why would a company want to do that? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's the same reasons that you do anything else with personalization. Um, it's really about the efficiency of, of being able to access the content and the user experience around, um, around the content and being able to access it more quickly, I guess. Um, or you can, there can be, obviously, there can be audience security concerns. Like some people can't see certain things. Um, so like maybe we have a document where parts of it are internal only. Um, and, you know, that needs to be filtered. Yeah, and the, and the business aspect too. I mean, once this once the content's written once, you can conditionalize aspects of it and instead of recreating the whole thing or copy pasting. You know, you become more efficient with the content production and delivery too because you're not recreating it each time. Yeah, there's certainly an aspect that it. I mean, it's it's a requirement for scalability, right? So, you know, if yep. you want to if you want to have robust reuse, there's no such thing as being able to reuse eighty percent of your content just across the board because then it, it becomes so generic and um, so isolated that it's it's not really useful. You still need to be able to speak to specific circumstances. So, you know, it's, it's common that you end up in a situation where you've got a component of content, which is used between multiple products and multiple situations and certain pieces of it need to change. 
So I think it's it's good to remember that an audience is not just a persona. An audience is often a person in a context, which can be a product or a situation at a point in time. Um, so you know that can also be you know, at one time you might need one thing versus you know another point in time. And to really sufficiently serve those audiences, you need to be able to filter out the stuff that doesn't matter to them. Yeah, to that specific audience and specific. Yeah, context. that particular. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a really powerful feature um, and done done well. It, it's I've seen benefit from from the customers that I've worked with. Um, I know that they're their writing teams have, you know, COVID has been a tough season for people. And I've seen a couple of writing teams take hits, but their, their content production, because of exactly this, their content production hasn't slowed at all. I mean, even with those hits, because the other writers have been able to pick up and take over and they're still producing content for the same, the same groups. So they actually, the content maintenance itself becomes less once all of this stuff is in place. You know, another thing that I think is a really interesting side effect of this stuff is that, the way that you do filtering or conditional processing um, in something like Ditta is you you tag content at the um, at the sub component level, right? So it's at, it can be at a section or a paragraph, or it can even be at a word. Like it can be all the way down to you know some you know just a couple of, of words or an individual word. Um, not that I I suggest that you start tagging a bunch of words, um, but in some cases it does make sense. Um, but what it does is it's actually, in, it's embedding metadata at, in the document at that point in time. Yeah. Like that's the passive benefit from it. So because you have that level of structure, it also means that in the future, you know, that that content does pertain to this other group. So you can go and say, you know, show me even the macro component, the larger piece that relates to this group based on what tags that are inside of it. So it builds a lot of intelligence into your content that you can then feed downstream into you know, things like AI and other systems where they're going to be, you're going to be able to derive more um, utility out of that in the future. So I think that there's something that a lot of content teams don't realize they're doing when they're, when they're creating filtered or conditional process content is that they're actually enriching their content with metadata and they're going to be able to leverage that in the future. They just don't know it yet. Yeah. I think that's when one of the, huge benefits over over unstructured environments. I mean, structured environment is what makes this possible. And unstructured environments, you know, it's fine if you have a team of writers and you guys all want to produce your content in Word and, and just churn out page after page and copy paste a bunch. And you, okay, so you're going to introduce some some potential for human error. But what you're not doing is exactly what you said, Patrick. You're not getting the content ready for the next the next wave of technology that's coming. And having it be structured and, and thus machine readable is a really good way to do that. Yeah, the, the machine readable aspect of it is huge. Um, you know, having having this metadata in the in the content provides you the hooks that a machine needs to grab it. It provides you the the mapping and the general structure. And it also it it's you know it's building ontologies into the content. It's building um, that richness that you can then transform into other things into the future. So, you know, I, I think that a lot of this stuff kind of loops together and the, the thing that's, that becomes really interesting about structured content. I know that we're doing, we're off on a tangent now. Um, 
But structured content really just does prepare you better. It's a better preparation for what's coming next. Um, it's, it's, it's literally just stronger content. It's just stronger, better content. Um, and it's going to give you a lot more capabilities once you've gotten there and you're ready to take the next step into the, um, the next set of functionality. Do you guys find that businesses out there um, are more apt to be planning for the future of their content? Or is that something that doesn't really cross their minds until you show them that it should cross their minds? I, I found that everybody is, they're thinking about the future of their content. Um, whether they are thinking about it in a way that, that really gets it ready for the future and the future technologies that are coming, that's a different story. Everyone knows they need content. Everyone's thinking about the next thing that they need to do for that set of content and how to make it better. Um, really, I think some of this boils down to an education perspective, an education um, issue. It really helps to to educate people to know, you know, here's what you can do with X, Y, Z. Here's how to, here's a way to make this more efficient. Um, let machines get involved with the content production. And, and then they can, you know, once customers can see the benefit or prospects can see the benefit, then it really starts to make sense to them to go through the effort to do this, to, to conditionalize content and to get it ready and, and get the tools in place to do this. Yeah, I think, I mean, so, you know, Jared, today, you know, you kind of see this in a different way than I do because, um, you know, you're working in a very project oriented way with a lot of customers like you're like really yeah. seeing them like create and do this yep. and i don't have the luxury of that as much as i used to unfortunately um but what i do see is i see kind of i see a little bit more of the macro environment i think um because that's kind of where i live these days and it's interesting you know i think what's going on there in that companies kind of seem to recognize that all of this is coming um I think there's like two kinds of organizations, really, when it comes down to it. You have the organizations that see all of this coming and the, and the importance of having this type of content ready for personalization. And I don't even just mean personalization, like, you know, again, like going back to the persona and audience thing. I mean it really in the context of like, you know, being able to hyper contextualize your content at the point of need to be doing the the very, very specific thing that somebody needs it to be doing. And I think that the organizations kind of roughly break down into two groups. Um, one of them go out and they do their homework and they realize that the best way to get there, and when I say best, I mean fastest and cheapest, is to start structuring their content and do the, you know, frankly, somewhat, someone could argue, boring work. You know, that's it's kind of the, it's it's the basic stuff to be ready to get, get in there. And then the other group is, you know, just believes that I, that AI is going to fix it for them. Um, but you know, the reality is when it comes to AI in content, there are some interesting applications. Like, don't get me wrong. There really are. But the vast majority of AI in content is just statistical analysis, trying to clean up garbage. Like it's, it's all, it's all messes that we created when we could have just done it right that we're trying to now solve by throwing money and machines at it. And it has a, a range of success, mostly failure at actually doing that well. So like the fastest and cheapest way to get to something that's, that's going to be really effective is to structure your content. It's it hasn't changed really. Um, 
so that's kind of how I see the, the breakdown is organizations looking towards the future. Um, and it's usually driven by like, uh, you know, virtual assistants, chatbot, um, improvements in, you know, support deflection, customer experience, um, all that kind of stuff, or just general expectations. You know, companies just, people expect to be able to get the information they need online now instead of having to go and like find a print, a printout. It's just, you know, how it is. So are you suggesting that we need to put in the digital elbow grease um, and, and make this happen instead of waiting for magic? Expensive magic? The, uh, <laughs> the yeah, the, the typing finger grease? Yeah, probably. I think you do. Um, and there's probably some mental effort in there too. Maybe, um, maybe. But yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think like you have to do the work. You can't wait for, you know, very expensive digital magic that may or may not work. Yeah.